I subscribe to a, a variety of news sites on Facebook, and I have a guilty pleasure about those news sites, and that is I like to read the comments. There are literally people from all over the world commenting. They come from all walks of life, virtually every religion and non-religion imaginable. And the interaction of these people, which is never me, is really, really interesting to watch. And one of the things that stands out to me is very often how different these people are from me. And I'm not talking about different in the way that they look or the music they listen to or simple things like that either. I mean, the way that they view the world is so different than the way I view the world that I'm often wondered if one of us lives in bizarre world. And this is true whether the article discusses politics, religion, or world events. And what I'll do is I'll go to the article and I'll read it. I'll draw my own conclusion and then go read the comments. And it amazes me how often I can... We can read the exact same article and we can have such radically different opinions about what the article was saying and what it means and, and everything. Just draw such radically different conclusions. Now, chances are you have had similar experiences like this with people. There may have been a co-worker whose take on recent world events made you think at first that they were joking. It may have been a college professor that saw the world in a way that didn't even make sense to you. It may have been someone on TV. You listen to an interview and it could have been like a regular person, a politician or a celebrity. And you walk away thinking that is just the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. In a lot of ways, I'm convinced that this is a good thing. The reason is, when you look at Scripture, you learn that the believers are to be different than unbelievers. There is to be a difference in the way that, that we live and the way that we act and just the way that we are. And this difference is meant to demonstrate the people of God serve a, a holy God and are totally devoted to doing His will. And one of the ways that this difference is shown is in the worldview that the people of God have. Now, a worldview is simply the way in which you see life. Right? Your worldview is, what, is how you interpret what you see. When you read that news article and you draw conclusions, the conclusions you draw are based upon the worldview that you have. And... The worldview will determine the decisions you make. Now, there are no aspects of your life that are not shaped by your personal philosophy of life or your worldview. And, and when you boil it down, there are basically only two types of worldviews. There's a biblical worldview and a secular worldview. And the difference between these is that those with a biblical worldview see everything from a Christ-centered point of view. This means that they see and interpret everything in relation to the moral character of God as revealed in His Word. To have a biblical worldview means that Scripture is the lens through which you interpret and understand everything you see, hear, or experience in life. On the other hand, a secular worldview is any system of values, beliefs, behaviors, and expectations in any given culture that puts man, fallen man, in the center and pushes God to the edges. This means that they see everything in relation to their will, their want, their pleasure, or their gain. And with this as their focal point, God's moral character, as revealed in His inspired Word, is never really taken into consideration. Now, a biblical worldview is just not the way we think naturally, for any of us. Naturally, we all put ourselves at the center and we put God at the edges. And the only way we'll ever have a biblical worldview is by being transformed in our minds. The passage we're going to look at today, it shows us why we need our minds transformed and how we can go about being transformed in our minds. So open your Bible to Ephesians 4, verse 17 is where we'll start. It's page 897, if you have a pew Bible. 
And when you find that, I'll ask you to stand on the reading of God's word. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned in Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Christ, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The title of the message this morning is transformed mind thinking like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you for all that you've given us and all that you've done. We ask you, God, to open our hearts and our minds to your word. Help us, Father, to take it, to let it be the authority in our lives today. Father, we need so much to have a a biblical worldview to see and understand everything in light of what you have revealed about right and wrong and truth and goodness. Help us, God, to be a people that are committed to doing that. Help us to be surrendered to you so that our minds can be renewed and our lives can be transformed. Let all that we do today help produce this kind of transformation in our lives. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I would speak your words in your way and not be a hindrance at all, God. Be glorified in all that happens, we ask in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Part of what should stand out as you look at this passage is there's a, being, is there, is a contrast being made. There's a contrast being made between those who believe in Jesus and those who do not believe in Jesus. Verse 17, 18, and 19, it talks about those who are separated from Christ. They, they walk in the futility of their mind. Their understanding is darkened. Their past feeling. Verses 20. 2 through 24, it talks about the new man that's being renewed and created according to true holiness in the image of God. And as you look at this, what you see in verse 20 is that, that that's the deciding factor. That's where everything changes. See, Jesus Christ is meant to be a, a, a massive change in our lives. That moment that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, it is meant to change everything about the lives we live, the way we think, the priorities we have, and all that we do. It is a a defining point in our lives. There is the way we were, then we met Jesus, then there's the way we're becoming. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what we see in this passage. There's the way that you were before you met Christ. There is the day that you met Christ, and then there's what Christ is making you and what you are becoming in Christ. And part of what should we see in this is that the thought life plays a part in all of this. Right? There is the thinking of unbelievers that's futile in their minds. Their understanding is darkened. Their minds are, are past feeling. Then there is coming to know Christ. There is being taught by Christ. There is being renewed in, in the spirit of our minds. Right? And, and the idea is, the way we think, it determines the way that we live. Right? If I think something is right, I'm going to live as though that thing were right. If I believe, if I think there is no God, I'll live as if there is no God. If I believe, if I think there is a God, I will live as if there is a God. If I, however I think, it determines how I live. Always. 
That is always the way that it goes. And so, if we want to, to live like Christ, which is the ultimate goal, look at verse 24. And that you be, that you put on the new man, right? Which is being created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That is what God is changing us into. That is what we are becoming. That's the goal. And if we want to live like Christ, well, then we have to think like Christ. And that is really the main thought I want you to understand is that when I think as Jesus thinks, then I'll live as Jesus lived. When I think as Jesus thinks, I'll live as Jesus lived. Because how I think determines how I live. Now you say, well, thinking like Jesus, that's not even reasonable. That's not realistic. And yet 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that as believers, we have the mind of Christ. And this is not, this is not the natural way that we have. This is why verse 23 talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. We need our minds renewed. So that we can think like Jesus and live like Jesus. And as we've done in other sermons in this series, we're going to find out why it is that we need our minds renewed. I mean, why is the way that I currently think, the way that I naturally think, why is that not good enough? And we've given three answers for this. Why do I need my mind transformed? Verse 17 tells us it's because the natural mind is hopelessly confused. The natural mind is hopelessly confused. Look at what he says in verse 17. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Now, the idea of the word futility, it means vanity in some translations. Uh, The New Living Translation does say hopelessly confused. And the idea is that it's it's a worthless process. It is a, a thought life that produces something that is not good. Right? It doesn't produce what it says it will produce. It has this idea that if you think this way and you do these things, here will be the results. But in the end, that's a waste of time. It doesn't really bring to pass what you're hoping for. Now, I think in a lot of ways, there are a lot of ways we could apply this. But one of the things that I was thinking of as I was studying this passage is on, on how to make the world a better place. And I think when we talk about how to make the world a better place, there is such a stark contrast between the way the world thinks and the way believers should think. The world has a couple of different ways that it wants us to believe that we can make the world a better place. One is through education. In Paul's day, the idea was that if... All of the greatest thinkers of the world gathered in one place. They could solve all the problems of the world and make the world a better world. In our day, we're taught something very similar. I remember being in college and one of my professors telling us that the number one problem in the world is a lack of education. That if, if the world was just better educated, terrorism, it would go away. Gang violence would stop. Abuse. All of the the evils of the world, they would go away if the world was just better educated. Now, education is a good thing. We ought to seek to be educated. However, education is not the main problem of the world. Educating people will not make people better. Right? In a lot of ways, education just makes them better at being bad. 
I mean, think about corporate CEOs that, that steal from the company and from the, the pensions of the people. These are not uneducated people. Education alone will never fix the problems of the world. That is a that is hopelessly confused thought pattern. Another way that the world wants to think will make the world a better place is through politics. Right? We're moving into a political season, so I'm going to harp on this all the time. And and if you if you watch MSNBC, right? If you watch MSNBC like Scott does, then you know the problem of the world. It's conservatives. I mean, if we could just get rid of all the conservatives in office, and we could put some good, solid liberals in all the places, that would fix everything. The world would be a better place. Now, if you watch Fox News, you don't agree with that. If you watch Fox News, what you've heard is the opposite. Liberals are the problem. Right? If you would get rid of all the, the liberals and put the conservatives in office, everything would be better. The America would rise to the top. The world would be a better place. Wars would cease and there'd be a chicken in every pot. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the line of thought. But let's think about that. Let's say all the right politicians were elected to all the right offices. And, and you put whoever you think is the right politicians, right? In your mind, what you think is that right politician. And then ask yourself these questions. Would that usher in the kingdom of God? Would, that, would the hearts of the parents be turned towards the children? Right? Would, would all the right politicians, whether liberals or conservatives, would child neglect and abuse be done away with? Every parent be a pillar of what it should be to be a loving parent for their child. Would all marriages be model of faithful love? Right? I mean, I mean would, if all were conservatives or all were liberals, would every marriage be just what it's supposed to be? Would greed and pride be legislated out of existence? Would human beings now at least be able to master our impulses in the area of sexuality, anger, and narcissism? And just be very personal. Would, would you finally become the man or woman you know you ought to be? I mean, if, if your party won every election for the next five years, would any of these things come true? They wouldn't. That's because external things like politics can't change the main problem that humans have, and that's because our hearts are depraved. See, when we are thinking like the world and we're, we're hopelessly confused, we, we look to worldly things to fix our problems. Because when our thinking is wrong, our actions will be wrong. When I think there's no God, I live as if there is no God, and I live as though I'm not accountable to anyone. When I think that, that me and God, we have our own special deal about life and relationship and morality and everything else, then, then I will live as though I'm not accountable to Him. When I think like the world, I will look to the world for solutions to the problems of humanity. I will think that maybe if we just give them more economic growth, they'll stop being so violent and cutting people's heads off. I'll think if we just educate them, They'll see that violence is not a solution. That greed doesn't fix. That if we just elect the right people, everything will suddenly be better all across the land. These thoughts are 
hopelessly confused. That is a worldly way of thinking. It is the natural way that we think. What we need is we need to see that the problem of humanity is bigger than, than any outward thing. The greatest need that man has isn't a job or an education or a politician. It's Jesus. And our minds must be renewed so that we can think the way that Jesus thinks and then live the way that Jesus lives. Secondly, we need our mind transformed because the natural mind is spiritually blind. It says in verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, because the blindness of their heart. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because I think it's a progression. That there is, they have their understanding darkened. And because their understanding is darkened, they're alienated from the life of God. And because they are alienated from the life of God, they are blind in their hearts. Right? One leads to the other. And the idea of their understanding being darkened is that they are, they are spiritually blind. Right? They are spiritually blind to spiritual things. I think, in particular, we could say that they are spiritually blind to the gospel, the, necess- the necessity of the gospel, and the need of the gospel for their lives. And the longer they stay this way, the more they, they just, the further away they drift from God. They, they become more and more alienated from God. And the, the more they are alienated from the life of God, the more ignorant they are of God's will, of God's want. And so they have no, they take no thought to it whatsoever. Uh, these would be people like in Psalm 10 where it talks about the thoughts of God is in none of their thoughts, right? And the idea is, People who are spiritually blind and who are alienated from the life of God, who are who have because of the ignorance that is in them, they they never take God's will or God's one into consideration when it comes to making a decision about anything. They never see it from God's point of view. They never say what does what does the Bible say is right or wrong about this situation? What does the Bible teach that we should or should not do about something along these lines? And the thing is, the more someone continues to live that way, what happens is their hearts become hardened, right? In the last of verse 18 in the New King James, it says the blindness that's in their heart. And a better word would be the hardness that's in their heart. Do you know that every time someone rejects God's will and God's way, it hardens their hearts Just a little bit. And the longer someone lives rejecting and resisting God's will and God's way, the harder their hearts become. And the the more difficult it is for them to to turn to God, the more difficult it is for them to see the importance of God and Christ and of the salvation that Jesus came to provide. And they are just spiritually blind. The result... Of this And part of what's troubling with this is that this is a, a self-imposed blindness. This isn't a, a blindness that, that has to happen. This is a blindness that is chosen. Continue to resist and reject the will of God. Hearts get harder. They blind themselves to the things of God. And so we need our, our minds renewed so that we can see, we can see the world as Jesus sees it. We can... See the problems. Right, so let's just imagine for a second that 
We put a minefield between the church and the school, right? Just in that little bitty area in the playground. That would make it safe for the kids. We had a, we had a minefield out there. And in order to, to make sure it was safe, we, we clearly marked every mine so that you could see it. You could look out there and you knew where every single mine was. But then we were going to have a race. We were going to have a race between Michael and a race between Jared. So we took them out back and we blindfolded, we flipped a coin. Jared lost, and so we blindfolded Jared. Now, on the count of three, we're going to say go, and they were both going to run across the minefield. Michael seeing, Jared blindfolded. Who do you expect to live in this situation? (laughs) Probably Michael, right? Not much chance Jared's going to make it blindfolded. In life, there are things in our life that are like spiritual landmines. And they are just as destructive, just as much able to destroy our lives as physical landmines are. And anytime we choose to think like the world, what we're doing is we are putting a blindfold on and trying to run through a minefield. That is the surest way to fail, to be destroyed, to be blown up by sin, decisions and anything else. The moment we cease to see things from God's standpoint, we stop trying. We blindfold ourselves and we run through the spiritual minefield of life. The thing is, this is what we will all do on our own. We need our minds renewed so that we can see the spiritual landmines that are out there. And then the third thing is that the natural mind is morally bankrupt. It says, who being past feeling, given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The idea of past feeling is that they just don't, in the medical world, it meant they they didn't feel the pain anymore. In the spiritual world, it means that they don't feel conviction over sin anymore. You know, there's there's a point to where when we start doing things that are wrong, we feel bad about it. The longer we keep doing it, the less we're convicted about it, the less bothered we are by it. And if we continually stay on this path, There will come a day where we no longer feel bad about the wrong that we're doing. And the reason that's a problem is because it's not a sign that God suddenly became okay with it. A lack of conviction about our sin is not because God has said, well, Stacy's not going to change. I guess I'll let him have that one. No, a lack of conviction about sin is because we have moved past feeling. Our, Our hearts are hardened to the point That the Spirit of God is dealing with us, but we don't feel it. We see nothing wrong with our sin. Just as pain is a sign of something that is physically wrong with us, conviction from the Spirit of God is a sign that something is spiritually wrong with us. Listen, friend, if you are living in sin but not convicted, things are not okay with you. You are in great spiritual danger. You have blinded yourself. And you are running through the minefield and at some point it will catch you. Be aware. And I think there's a, there's a progression. When we are hopelessly confused and we look to the world for solutions, we're, we're blinding ourselves to the real needs and the real concerns and the real solutions. And the longer we continue in the spiritual blindness, the harder our hearts become. Until the day arrives when we are past feeling and we no longer feel guilty About our sins. In that day we are a problem. We are in a bad, bad way. 
And when we are this way, our hearts and our minds are so hardened to the will of God that we are way far away and we simply do not care. I think we see this in our world in a variety of ways. One way that I think is one of the ways that when I read things, I think it's bizarre world. Right. There, there are people in our world that that morally oppose wearing fur. Cruelty to animals shut down the colonel because he kills chickens. But these same people are adamantly pro abortion. Save the chickens, kill the babies. That is that is craziness. That is a world gone mad. That is a world view issue. Right? And you may think people that say that aren't serious. But they are. I watched a video a couple of weeks ago. And a lady went into a, a chicken place. And I don't think it was KFC. And she was speaking out for chickens. And she was crying. Uh, they had names. They had dreams. They had things they wanted to be. They just wanted to be left alone. And you're eating them. I thought it was like funny or die. I mean, it was, but no, it was real. They're like, they have, they go into Walmarts and they have funerals for frozen chickens in the store. And then they leave and go out and protest to kill the babies because abortion should be legal. That is a crazy worldview that comes from people who are hopelessly confused. They are spiritually Blind. And they are morally bankrupt. That is the natural mind. Romans 8 says that the natural mind cannot be pleasing to God. The natural mind is always in rebellion against God and will never surrender to the law of God. That is the natural way that we all think. We need our minds renewed. So that brings us to the second question. How can, I re- how can I transform my mind? I must know Jesus. Verse 20 is this transition point. If you have, but you have not so learned Christ. And there's two things with this I want to point out. First is, verse 17, 18, and 19. That way of life, that way of thinking is contrary to the life in Christ. This is the way people apart from Christ live. But you know Christ and that is not what you've learned. That's not what you know and that's not how you live. That's part of the point Paul's making. Part of the point also is that we, we know Christ. Right? That what changed our thinking. Right? It wasn't that we watched this really good video. Right? It wasn't that someone convinced us otherwise. What changed our mind was knowing Jesus. Once we came to know Jesus, then that began to change the way that we think. Our mind began to be transformed. We began to see how hopelessly confused the world's philosophies were. We began to realize the danger of spiritual blindness. We began to be bothered by moral bankruptcy in our own lives. Jesus made the difference. The key to this is that we truly know Jesus. Right? I mean, that, that's the thing. We, we have to really know Him. 
And, and the way that Paul words it, he's not talking about know about Jesus. Right? He's talking about truly know Jesus. You know, there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. If you're a sports fan and you have a particular team or an athlete you like, I bet you know a lot about the athletes. You know their stats. Right? If you're a Trekkie, you know strange and bizarre things about William Shatner that people shouldn't know. I mean, you just you get really into it if you're a fan and you know all this stuff. All these really personal facts and issues and things. But you don't really know them. I mean, if they saw you, they wouldn't recognize you. And if you begin to say, I know all about you. I know where you were last night. Right? They would call their security to come and make sure there's a buffer zone between you and them. There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. Knowing about Jesus isn't enough. It's not enough to know facts about who he is and what he did. It's not enough to even to believe that certain facts from the Bible are true. We, we must know Jesus. This is the starting point. There is no being renewed in our minds until we know Jesus. This is what everything rises and falls on. I must know Jesus. And then secondly, I must learn from Jesus. Verse 21 says... If indeed you have heard him, now look at that, heard him, not heard of him, does it? Heard him and have been taught by him. The truth is in Jesus. Now, if indeed Paul isn't questioning whether or not they have heard Jesus, whether or not they've been taught by Jesus, whether or not they know Jesus. Instead, what he's saying is that you, you do know Jesus. You have heard Jesus. You have been taught by Jesus. And what I like about this is the focus on Jesus. Jesus is the truth we need to set us free. Jesus is also the teacher of that truth to make sure we learn it properly. He is the truth and he is the teacher. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. Now, for us to say Jesus is the truth we have to know, that makes sense. I'm sure we're all aware of that. But to say Having heard him, having been taught by him, so the truth is in Jesus. Being taught by Christ, that, that may sound strange. Right? That could sound odd to us, but it shouldn't. That is a very biblical concept. Right? Jesus himself said this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest from your souls. Right? The, the call to follow Jesus has always been a call to come and learn from Him. And, and I like that it says He's lowly and gentle, in heart, or gentle and lowly in heart. And we don't have time to get a lot into it, but the idea there is that that connects to the teaching. Right? Jesus isn't a drill sergeant who teaches us by yelling at us and calling us names when we fail. Jesus isn't a teacher who overwhelms us with information and makes us feel unworthy and and unable to do what needs to be done. Instead, the idea is that Jesus teaches us in a way that we can learn. He, He deals with us as individuals. He doesn't try to break us, to hurt us or anything. He is always leading us for our best and for his glory. And he does it in a way that's encouraging, strengthening and helpful in our lives. 
Now, how does Jesus teach us, though? I mean, he doesn't come and set and talk to us from the word. How does he teach us? Well, primarily, he does teach us from his word. He speaks to us through the word. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've almost certainly had times where you were reading the Bible and just suddenly the word spoke to you in a way that it had not before. You became aware of maybe something that was wrong in your life that needed to be fixed. Something that you were discouraged about, you became encouraged by. Something where you were down, it began to lift you up. In that time, that was Jesus speaking to you. I mean, that's what Paul is talking about in verse 21. If you have heard him and have been taught by him, he does teach us through his word. Part of being a disciple is learning from Jesus. right? And to learn from Jesus... We do have to be in His Word. We have to study the Bible for ourselves. And we have to be where the Bible is preached and where the Bible is taught. And let me give you some questions to help as you study the Bible. To try to learn from Jesus, right? What did Jesus do? So as you read through the Gospels particularly, what what are the things that Jesus did that He didn't do? How did He respond? What were Jesus' priorities? How did he prioritize his life? We see that in various places throughout there. How did Jesus treat people? How did he interact with with different kinds of people? Because he interacted with a great variety of people just like we will. What spiritual disciplines did Jesus practice? What kind of things did he do that would develop a relationship with God the Father? What did he do? I mean, what did he do that demonstrates he had a knowledge of Scripture? That he prayed, that he fasted, things along those lines. What kind of relationships did Jesus have? Now, you say, well, not all of the Bible is the Gospels. And that's true. But all of the Bible is the Word of God. So we can learn as much about these things about Jesus in Paul's epistles as we can through the Gospels. Because whatever Paul wrote is what Jesus would have said. So you read through Paul's epistles and you ask yourself, what kind of things did the Bible say to do? What does the Bible tell me to do or to not or to not to do? Nice or not to do. Right. Because whatever the Bible says to do or not to do, that's what Jesus would do or not do. He wouldn't do anything that contradicted scripture. What priorities does the Bible teach? How does the Bible teach me to treat people? What spiritual disciplines does the Bible teach? kind of relationships does the Bible say I should have? You know, if we begin to apply these things, questions to we study the Bible, we will begin to know Jesus better. We will be, begin to, to think like Him. Right? Because thinking is always where it happens. So, you're going through life tomorrow, and the person in front of you, the checkout line, right, they have 433 things in the 10 item or less line. Would Jesus tell them they're morons? Probably not. How would he treat them? And I'll think about that. Because I'll want to tell them how stupid I think they are for being in that line. And I'll think, Jesus wouldn't have treated people like that. And when I think like that, I'll begin to to act in different ways. When I go through and and there's somebody that, that maybe is hard to have a relationship with. Someone that's struggling in their spiritual life. I think, what kind of relationships would Jesus have had with these people? 
And then once I think like that, I'll begin to, to act like that. I mean, that's the key. We renew our mind by learning from Jesus. Our minds are transformed. And then when we think like Jesus, we'll begin to act like Jesus in all of these ways. And a, and a key to this is that we put ourselves in places where he can speak to us from his word. We study it for ourselves. Go to church where the Bible is taught, preached. You know, the sad thing is, there are some who would claim to be Christians. But they don't want to read the Bible for themselves because they don't want to be challenged in the way they think, in the way they believe, in the way that they live. They don't want to go to church because they don't want to be challenged on how they think, and the way they live, and the way they believe. It's not, that's problematic. Someone who's committed to Jesus wants to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus, we have to learn from Jesus. To learn from Jesus, we have to be where the Bible is taught. We have to be in the Bible ourselves. And any time we come to the Bible with a mindset and says, I want to know you, Jesus, and I want to be more like you, we can be assured we always will hear from him. He will always strengthen us, guide us, and help us. So let me, let me close with a question. What does the life you live show about the way that you think? The, the life you lived from last Sunday to today, does it show that you think like Jesus and then act like Jesus? Or does it show that you think like the world and act like the world? Now, if it shows that you think like the world and act like the world, that's not good, but it's not the end of the world. In various ways, I don't think any of us are ever going to say, well, I totally think like Jesus and I totally act like Jesus. There's going to be ways in which we've done right, ways in which we've done wrong. Things pointing out that we're not quite to where we ought to be. Those are not meant to push us down and to make us feel bad. They're meant to remind us that there's still work to be done. They're meant to drive us to the cross to where we would say, Jesus, here's where I'm, I'm off. Transform my mind. Transform my life. Help me to think like you so that I can... Be like you. So if you're not thinking like Jesus, you have a choice. You can feel sorry for yourself and just go, preacher's mean, maybe I'm no good, it's just never going to happen. In which case you will never be any different than you are right now. You will never grow, you will never change, you will never become more like Jesus. Or you can say, Okay, this is some areas that need work. Jesus is here to change me. I'm going to Christ and I'm asking for help. And I'm begging for my mind to be renewed and my life to be transformed. And the way that you respond will determine whether or not transformation takes place in your life. The way that you respond will determine whether or not you think and act like the world or you think and act like Jesus. Let's stand. Some musicians come forward.